0: Welcome into Golf Betting On Demand. I'm your host, Rick Gaiman, and I'll take you through everything you need to know for the betting board for this week's CJ Cup. But before we do that, I do want to look back at last week's Houston Open. As we do every single week, want to be very transparent about the bets that I've made. Talk about what occurred last week and if we learned anything about it. So the Houston Open Golf Club at Houston, Lonto Griffin goes out and gets his first professional win. This is a guy that we've talked about before on the show where hey he was knocking on the door, top 20, top 20, top 20, making a bunch of cuts. We've bet him top 10, top 20 uh, the past few weeks and he goes out and actually gets gets the job done and gets the win something I did not have a piece of but very happy to see that he's a really good player who um, has grinded his way up and, and the, all that hard work is paying off you saw uh, a lot of names that if you're not following golf on a daily basis might be a little bit. New to you, someone like, you know, Scott Harrington, Mark Hubbard, they were all vying for the lead there. There was a chance that we were going to get a three-way playoff yesterday. It didn't happen because Lonto goes out and makes his like, you know, four footer for uh, par on 18. And, uh, you know, the golf club of Houston ended up being a really good test. No one went super, super low. The course bit back a little bit. I always love when 17 and 18 play as like the two toughest holes on the course. So you really have to be at your best uh, and hang on coming down the stretch. So um, good to see that. And, uh, you know, we'll see. It. Actually, I, I think I don't think we're going to get the golf club of Houston next year. I believe they're moving venues for the Houston Open next season. So that might be the, uh, the last hurrah there at the golf club. The bets that we had, the the biggest exposures that we had were to Russ Henley, betting him at 28-1 to to win outright. That started out really, really well. He goes out and shoots a 66 in round one, puts himself right into contention. But there were a lot of red flags that that was not going to be sustainable for the course of the week. Uh, The fact that he was putting outside of his mind in round one, um, I was really concerned about him in round two, round three, if you were playing matchups, anything like that. Obviously, I was rooting for him to continue to gain two strokes putting uh, every single every single round of the tournament, but it was not to be. He goes out and he shoots back-to-back 77s. He makes the cut, but kind of dwindles around near the bottom of the leaderboard. Uh, ends up finishing in a tie for 61 after showing a little bit more life on Sunday with a 69. Uh, Cameron Tringale, that was, that was our biggest exposure bet. That was one I was... Insta click the second um, the second it came out he was fifty to one he ended up finishing in a tie for thirteenth he got within two shots of the lead at, at points during the week I thought he was really going to uh, you know we, we've talked about it before you have to knock on the door a couple times before it opens and you get that first win Tringale might just be knocking on the door but you know continue to get him in fifty to one in some of these weaker fields he's playing really really well at the moment it feels. Like a little bit of a disappointment because he fell from like third to 13th on the weekend but um you know what it's not it's a success if you would have told me he finished in in a tie for 13th before the week started i think we would have been pretty happy with that outcome and then the big whiff was robbie shelton uh shelton we had at 70 70 to 1 which of course you know 70 to 1 I don't know what you can realistically expect out of him, but I expected a lot better. You know, I expect him to play better off the tee. He was loose as a goose. He was all over the place. Um, wasn't really putting himself in the position off the tee, which, which really led to a lot of the game falling apart. So big whiff on him. He goes out and misses the cut. Um, none of our fades got there, obviously. Lonto Griffin was not one of our fades, so we continue to find success in that realm. And then, um, I had a little bit of success in betting groups. So we've talked about this in the past, and they usually come out later in the week. but um, you know, these books that release these groups of players, you know, they're usually five golfers within the same uh, price. Or pricing section, right? It's usually like the five favorites, and then the next five favorites. They put them in a group, and they give them different odds, and you have to pick the guy to go out and 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 win out of them. And that was where I was really successful for this week. So um, I think like Harris Harris English cashed the bet. I think Bud Bud Cawley cashed a bet. So there was um, some really good uh, options out there, and if they're out early enough each week, we'll continue to talk about them here. But for this week, C J Cup at. Nine bridges. This is uh, this is this is the event for the third year. It's going to be played in Korea. I believe it's called Jeju Island. It's an island in Korea, which means you are going to be getting uh, you can get very dry, very windy conditions. The 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 weather can change fairly quickly. Uh, the main defense for this course is wind. So this is only the third edition of the tournament, and two years ago we saw. Uh, I think it was two years ago we saw just absolutely low scores or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe two years ago it was, ah, now I've confused myself, but one year we've gotten really, really low scores, like 23 under par. And then, um, the next year, it had to be two years ago. (laughs) Sorry. So two years ago, uh, played a lot more difficult because I remember JT went out and shot like eight under in the first round and then like 13 under won the whole thing because, um, the wind starts kicking up and it plays a lot more difficult after that. Uh, Brooks Kepka last year conditions were were much more calm 23 under par or something to that effect he goes out and wins it so we're, we're going to talk about Brooks but this is this is a no-cut event there's only 78 players in the field here so you know there's a lot to talk about strategy wise you know we don't have a lot of great course history since it's only year three I don't have a regression model um, there's no shot link data so shot link is the tool that the PGA Tour uses to track every shot, uh, you know, where it goes, where it ends up, the scoring, and then that turns into a lot of the statistics. It turns into all of the strokes gained statistics. Um, We don't have that, okay? So I don't know if they'll set it up for this year, but apparently the last two years when they've made the trip to Korea, since I guess this is technically an invitational because there's only 78 players in it, the PGA Tour has opted to not Use shot link data, so we don't have a regression model. So we're just going to be using the eye test, which you know always makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm a I'm a I'm a big data guy. I want to see the numbers out there, but I think we can make some really good uh, assumptions in just two years of uh, viewing experience. And when you talk about no cut events, um, usually this is where the big dogs show up. So. Just to, you know, these, some of these are playoff events. Some of these are WGC. So you're going to get better players anyway, but you know, here are the last six winners of no cut events on the PGA tour. You've got Rory, Justin Thomas, Patrick Reed, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Xander Shoffley. Like that is a who's who of the best players on tour. You know, Patrick Reed, that might be a little generous for him, but other than that, I mean that those are the best golfers in the world. And the reason that that happens is we've talked, we talk week and week. You know, week in and week out, about how volatile golf is. Well, it's very, very volatile for for one week or two weeks or three weeks, um, especially one round, two round, three rounds. But when you guarantee that guys are going to play four rounds, it it makes it a little less volatile than your normal week, where if you have two bad rounds to start, or even one bad round to start, you might miss the cut on the number and you don't get a chance to play on the weekend. We've seen plenty of times where. Someone starts off slow, you know, round one, round two, and there is no cut. So they survive. And then they go out and shoot the lowest round of the day on Saturday. Now they're back in contention. They go out, they fire something really low on Sunday and they're right there in it. We see it all the time. So it's usually the big dogs that end up getting towards the top of the leaderboard because they're guaranteed those four rounds. So we'll try to lean towards those type of elite type golfers. And then really you want birdie makers. Uh, Guys that make a lot of birdies are never out of it, right? So if it ends up being a low score or a really high score that wins this, either way, if you're out there making birdies over the course of four rounds, that's a skill set that is um, not necessarily transferable to every player on the tour. But if it's out there, we want to take advantage of it. So we're going to jump into the top of the leaderboard and some bets to talk about right here on the other side. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand. It's CJ Cup Week. These guys are flying across the pond. Is that considered across the pond? All the way to Korea. It is an island where this course is at, so you get those island-type conditions. And, you know, let's look at the top of the leaderboard here because, quite honestly, I wasn't expecting what I saw. So let's let's take a peek here. We have Justin Thomas, 6.5 to 1. He is your uh, betting favorite. Followed up by Brooks Kepka at eight to one, and then you get Hideki and Tommy Fleetwood at eighteen to one. You get Victor Hovland at twenty to one. You get Morikawa, Spieth, and Sungjae Im at twenty-two to one, and then Rafa Cabrera bayo and Billy Horschel at twenty-five to one. Just right off the bat, and I was surprised, and maybe I shouldn't have been, that Justin Thomas is the betting favorite for this event. When you have Brooks in the field, I know that he's coming off of a missed cut, but I kind of expected uh, just Brooks to be in here at like five to one. And we were going to brush him off and we weren't really going to talk about him. But let's let's kind of go in order here. So there's nothing wrong with Justin Thomas. Uh, he's six and a half to one. I am actually a I I quite honestly believe he is due for a massive year uh, outside of the time that he missed last year with the wrist injury when he swung into a tree for whatever reason in like the first round of the Honda Classic last year. Outside of that, he was awesome. Uh, That set him back a little bit, but he got going towards the end of the year. He racked up a playoff win. He's been great. You know, his three most recent finishes are a first, a third, and a fourth. That fourth is this year at the Safeway. It's the only event that he has played in the 2019-2020 season. He won this event two years ago in 2018. So there's really no reason to not like Justin Thomas it's just I was a little bit surprised here uh, Brooks on the other hand probably from a betting uh, standpoint is a is a little bit more interesting because um, obviously a little bit longer but eight to one is basically isn't that the odds he was? at the Shriners, like eight to one to win a full field event. Um, this is a, a no cut event with half the players in it. There's only gonna be 78 players in it. It's a much weaker field in my opinion than the Shriners was. So you're basically getting the same odds for Brooks to bounce back off of that. And it's probably a much better situation for him to actually win the golf tournament. I was literally expecting him to be five to one here. Um, that Shriners miscut obviously a little bit concerning but it was his sixth worst putting performance that i have for him in 2019 he took the week off he gets to get the he gets to fly to korea he's your defending champion and when you just give this guy four rounds i feel like he's gonna figure it out right like even when he missed the cut at the shriners he was he was trying uh to get that, that to get it going there it's just like a situation where he couldn't couldn't put it all together. It looked, you know, it was close enough to to him making the cut. I think he missed it by one or two shots, but um, really interesting to see him there. Now, the guy who, you know, I'll mix in some fades and I'll mix in some bets here because I do just want to talk about the the top of this betting board. I think it is really really interesting. Um, Victor Hovland at twenty to one is kind of an insta bet for me. So again, small weak field where. I don't think people realize how elite Hovland is. And, you know, he gets constantly compared to the other young guys, especially Colin Morikawa, especially Matt Wolf, who have both won already on the PGA Tour. They even kind of lump him in with Joaquin Neiman, who has a whole year's worth of experience on him. Joaquin Neiman has already won, you know, this year. So it's almost like, oh, you know, why hasn't he gotten the win yet? Um, It is certainly no lack of... Of skill set. This guy, I only have nine measured tournaments on him as a professional. So measured meaning there was shot link data on it. Um, So I don't have like the masters, for example, but he was the low am at the Masters, So I assume he also played well there statistically. Um, But he has gained strokes off the tee and on approaches in every single one of his nine tournaments. So not only has he done it in all of them, but to do it for nine straight is a feat that is almost unmatched. I, I, I didn't look at the entire PGA Tour history, but I did just kind of cherry pick a few of the guys that I know would have been able to do something like that. Um, John Rom has had one stretch where he gained strokes off the tee and on approach 11 straight tournaments. Rory McIlroy also did it for 11 straight tournaments at different points over the last... Or, or, they've, they've both done it once over the last four or five years. Um, Dustin Johnson has never done it. So, I mean, like that's the type of company that Victor Hovland is for being elite off the tee, elite on approaches, and doing it so consistently. So, you know, when we don't have a lot of stats to back up the things that we're looking at this week because there's there's no shot link data and because we don't have really great tournament history with this only being the third season, like, th- that's perfect for Victor Hovland. He, Hovland. he has six top 15 finishes in his last seven starts, and I know that... One of the knocks, which I don't understand, one of the knocks for Victor Hovland is always like, oh, well, we don't have any course history on him. Well, of course you don't have any course history on him. The guy, the kid's like, you know, he's like 20 years old, if that. And he, this is now his first full season on the PGA Tour. Like every course is new to him, and it has not stopped him from going out and just absolutely piling up all of these top 10s, all of these top 15s, and just being in contention often. So I am not concerned about that for Hovland in the least. I've you know, spoiler alert, I've auto bet him at 20 to one there. That number is, is just much too long. And then the other thing that stuck out to me as I was looking through the top of this leaderboard is again, Jordan Spieth. And and this is really going to be the year of Jordan Spieth one way or another, quite frankly, this is now, it has been two full years. He has not won a golf tournament since The Open Championship two years ago, so it's been over two years since his last win. Um, His statistics, especially off the tee and on approaches, are back down to earth. We are going to find out if Jordan Spieth can bounce back from this and, and regain his form, or if what we saw for that like you know two year stretch was. I don't know. Was was just an outlier and he's going to be a good player, but he's not going to be that Speethian type player. So we are going to find out a lot about Jordan Speeth this year. I'm very excited for it, but you will not see me betting him at 22 to 1. I don't care really what this field is until he proves it. I prefer to be early on guys. I will be late on Jordan Speeth. So 22 to 1, let's talk about this. You know, he has now lost strokes off the tee in 18 of his last 28 starts. Um, has now lost strokes on approach in 17 of his last 28 starts. So you're talking about a guy who is really, really down in the dumps on the two aspects of, of golf, basically off the TN approach that takes up the largest portion of your strokes. It's the ones that's the stickiest each week. It is what we would think are the most important stats each week. He has been saved by his putter so that he actually is gaining about a half a stroke per round total. Okay, so you add it all up around the green, off the tee, approach, putting. He gains about a half a stroke to the field. Similar type players to that, uh, in that same ballpark uh, in terms of strokes gained total, are Zach Johnson, Dylan Fratelli, Ryan Palmer, and Nick Taylor. Uh, not all of them are in the field this week, but Dylan Fratelli is 60 to 1. Ryan Palmer is 100-1, to one, and Ryan Palmer has actually finished in a tie for third at this event last year, okay? So you have a guy who's basically statistically the same as Jordan Spieth, has a top-five finish one year ago, and he's five times the odds as Jordan Spieth is. So really, all you're paying for for Jordan Spieth at the moment is that name recognition, and that is something that I absolutely cannot get behind. He's just he's we we've talked about talked about this in the past. Excuse me, where um that magic putter that he has has built him out of so many situations, and what he's doing putting wise is historic. No one has ever seen it. So he is either the greatest putter putter to ever live, or now he's kind of got an outlier situation in that area of his game. <laughs> Maybe he is the best putter ever, but he would have to sustain that ridiculous putting rate to even get back to this strokes gain total number that makes him Zach Johnson, Dylan Fratelli, Ryan Palmer, and Nick Taylor. I just don't believe it. I hope he does. Listen, the PGA Tour is significantly better when Jordan Spieth is good and Jordan Spieth is competing week in and week out. He's a a great face of the sport like I want him to win I want him to come back and be that guy that we saw a couple years ago but there is little indication that he is actually going to be that guy and you're paying the price that he is still somewhat spithian which is going to be a tough pill for me to swallow I have a few other fades um, and long shots to talk about and we are going to do that right after these words Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand. If you're just joining us, you missed a lot of stuff. What are you doing? No, this is a a cool little event they have going on in Korea where, uh, you know, it's island golf. You can get a lot of different conditions. This can be really low scoring. So there's a lot of things to talk about. I want to cover a few more fades before I get into... Um, some of the plays I'm more excited about, but um, you know, the no-cut aspect, the the kind of invitational aspect of this, you know, not being a, a long-standing PGA tour event, it, it really does throw a lot of wrenches into this. So I want to cover a couple couple quick fades here. Um, Jason Day at 30 to 1 uh, I, I can't invest in. It's it's really interesting that Jordan Spieth has essentially provided cover for all of the other really elite players whose skill set might have diminished last year or they had a poor year. And Jason Day's that guy. So I know he's 30 to 1. It's not super short like Jordan Spieth at 22 to 1 or anything like that, but there's something going on here. We talked about this at the end of last year, and we still haven't seen signs of life from Jason Day. Um, If you look at just the strokes, gains in numbers, he's absolutely elite strokes gained total numbers in his career but there was a switch last year you know before 2019 so the last like 4 years leading up to um <clears throat> then the end of 2018 Jason Day gained about 1.3 strokes per round on the field it's great it was awesome uh, last year was almost half of that 0. 0.81 strokes uh, per round. So when you kind of lose half of your production in a single year, that's already alarming. And um, you know the skill sets that we saw. I mean, he was still really, really good off the tee last year, but lost big on approaches. Was now losing around the green, where that was where that was one of his better skill sets. Um, he's always kind of had almost like a magic putter, like Jordan Spieth has had, and it's just like. It, he's now more reliant on that putter than ever in the same way that Jordan Spieth is. And Spieth has at least posted a couple of top 10s last year because his putter got historically hot. We haven't seen that from Jason Day. So um, he's more reliant than ever. He only has two top 10s since the Masters last year for a guy who has the name recognition and the price that you're going to pay at 30 to 1. Um, I'm a little bit more concerned about this one because uh, Jason Day does have you know, a decent run here. He's got a, a fifth place finish last year and 11th place finish in the year before, but I'm actually a little bit concerned that he is a different player than he was um, in, in those two years, right, is is what we've seen. His, his skill set diminish a little bit. And in the same way that 2019-2020 is going to be a huge year for Jordan Spieth to show us what he really is, I think Jason Day is going to do the same, especially with the President's Cup coming up in Australia, a team that he did not qualify for uh, that he's going to have to be a captain's pick in. Like, I'm concerned about Jason Day, and we're really going to find out uh, what he is this season. Pat Perez. So um, I have a great stat that I was going to save for the Cam Smith section of this show, but I'll, I'll use it here on Pat Perez. And those are the only two guys, Cam Smith, Pat Perez, to have top tens in both of the two editions of this CJ Cup Uh, But Pat Perez is really, really scary because of the fact that the last time we saw him play a golf tournament, so he withdrew like right before round one last week at the Houston Open. Um, I believe it was a wrist injury, that injury that he was dealing with at points last year. And the last time we saw him was the third place finish at the Shriners in which he gained like nine strokes putting. So we've seen him probably have an outlier result a few weeks ago at the Shriners which I didn't think he was going to be able to repeat this week. We never saw if that, or last week at the Houston Open, and we never saw if that actually panned out because he withdraws before the tournament starts. But now he goes there, and you're paying a little bit of a, of a steeper price on him than you probably should because of the good tournament history. And now I'm just really, really concerned about Pat Perez. If this was like a fantasy situation, and you are worried about like ownership and leverage and all that stuff, Pat Perez might be a good play. But when it's just like straight-up betting, and it doesn't matter how many other people have bets on him and like all that like it's really tough to swallow there's there's not as much of a a story that you can tell or a situation that you can create that makes him super super playable so uh, i will probably take a pass on pat perez this week and and wait and see actually i mean we really don't even know if he's going to play right so i don't know i don't know if he's in korea we're going to keep an eye on the news but he's not going to get my investment dollars one way or another And then finally, I want to wrap with a fade that is a little more all-encompassing and um, probably have to explain this a little bit. I'm kind of fading the Korean players. And I know it sounds weird, but the reason I say that is because this always happens on the PGA Tour where some tournament is in, it's in Malaysia or it's in Mexico or it's in Japan. And it's like, it's like constantly like, oh my gosh, you have to play the guys from that area because they know the course really well which is not necessarily the case or you get a bunch of guys who are really long odds very far down the betting board and they're like oh they're locals um they know the they know the course they know the grass they know all that stuff and it's like yeah but they're not as good as the rest of the players in the field so what you have this week and what you had the last 2 years is you're going to have like a dozen Korean players that get in on sponsors exemptions and stuff like that who are local and they're going to be, you know, they could be popular there, but they haven't had much success. So let me, let me read you to the results here. So just in the two years of the CJ cup 2018, here were all the Korean finishes and I'll go through these fast. There's about a dozen of them. Fourth, 11th. 28th, 36th, 36th, 44th, 44th, 54th, 58th, 58th, 60th, 61st, 62nd, 72nd, 75th, 77th. And that's the good year. Last year was even worse 23rd, 29th, two, three guys in 41st, 55th, uh, two guys in the 60s, and four guys in the 70s. Like, that's really bad. This is only a field of like 78 or 77 players. And I just, it's not necessarily a knock on these guys as an entire culture, obviously, but I always know that people, they have this conviction that for whatever reason, when the PGA Tour goes somewhere that is not on the usual tour stop, or it's like, oh, you're going to get a bunch of locals from there, um, people run to the betting window to bet these guys. And as you can see, it doesn't really pay off. And you can even argue for the better guys, like, like Ben On, Siwoo Kim, like, there there aren't a lot of top finishes here. Uh, They might feel a lot of pressure. We talk about this all the time. It's like when you go back to your home area and now you've got a bunch of ticket requests and you've got a bunch of media and you got to do a bunch of interviews, like the thing you're not doing is playing golf. (laughs) And the thing you're not doing is preparing for the golf tournament. So I I don't know. That's that's a very broad brush to stroke on fading these guys. But I just want to use it as a way to say, do not buy into this narrative around, the locals know the course really, really well. You should go out and bet these guys at 300 to one because they're going to win the golf tournament. It, that history hasn't proven that. And there's no reason to think that guys that we are going to bet guys that I am fairly interested in. I've got them across a couple of different, uh, price points here, but Cam Smith, who is the other guy with Pat Perez that, uh, has two top tens in the two editions of the CJ cup. Um, you know, Cam Smith's finishes are a T7 and a third place in the last two years. He's 35 to one. What I like about Cam Smith is that he's a really good around the green player. So, um, this course for whatever reason, especially if the wind starts blowing the around the green game is going to be critical. If you start missing greens, um, getting up and down, avoiding that big number comes into play. So the year that, uh, George, uh, excuse me, Justin Thomas won it, which was two years ago. It was lower scoring, I think 14 under one. Around the green became very critical. So if that win starts kicking up, Cam Smith becomes even more interesting as a player. Um, not really great off the tee or anything like that, but has a, has a very specific skill set that if this tournament falls a specific way, Cam Smith becomes a, a fairly decent option. Corey Connors is a guy that we talk about all the time. Um, we haven't seen him since... the the safe way where he finished in a tie for 13th. But now we've got five top 25 finishes in his last seven starts. And I did not even include the tour championship in which he finished like twenty sixth or twenty seventh because there was only 30 guys into it. So I didn't, I didn't count that, but what we know about Corey Connors is a few things. He's always going to be a very elite ball striker. He's great off the tee. He's great on approaches. He struggles with uh, the short game specifically putting, but Hey, he gets hot for one week. You can go out and win a golf tournament. Like we saw him do at, uh, what was it? Valero Texas open just, uh, just last year. So Corey Connors, certainly in play here, and then you also have someone like Lucas Glover, who, again, we talk about a lot, but we've talked about him uh, in bad ways as well. Lucas Glover limped down the down the stretch last season. He limped to the finish line. Even into this season, he was brutal. He was missing cuts. He was finishing like last at the Tour Championship, but he showed some life recently with a ninth place finish at the Shriners Hospital. And what I like about Lucas Glover is that when you look at his strokes gained statistics, he gains in every single category. So all four categories, which usually gives a guy um, a really decent floor to work with. He has a 15th place finish two years ago. I think he's certainly a play this week as well. But the one guy that probably has me most excited, uh, especially in this range, right? Like I'm not like super stoked, but Luke List at 100 to one. Luke List has an absolute elite skill set. We know he can't putt. Everybody knows it. Really good off the tee, really good. Uh, uh, or decent approach player. And he, speaking of guys who limped down the stretch of last season, he missed seven straight cuts at the end of last year, and that does not even include the Northern Trust, in which he finished, like, dead last because it was a no-cut event, right? There was 75 guys in it. He finished, like, 75th. Really, really bad, but he has bounced back recently. Tie for 13th at the Shriners. Tied for 28th last week at the Houston Open. He, is, he was elite... Off the tee in both of those events. And he has a little bit of success here with a top five. Uh, Two years ago, it's the only time he has played the CJ Cup. So you're giving me a guy very early trending in the right direction, very early with an elite skill set. I'll bet him at 100 to 1, but hey, top 10, top 20 markets. Uh, he's a bet there because you're going to get really long odds and it's only a 77-man field or 78-man field at the moment. So that is Lucas Glover that I'm, that I'm interested in. Um, we'll cover some more of these guys that I want to go through and talk about strategy for this week in this event right after these words.
1: DailyRodo.com
0: All right. Welcome back to golf betting on demand and it's CJ cup season. We've talked through a lot of things already. We've covered the strategy around a no cut event, trying to find as many studs as possible or in turn, finding a lot of birdie makers. Uh, We've talked about the course and the unique nature of this event, having it be only 78 golfers, the fact that the weather can pretty much change at a moment's notice. Uh, It is uh, situated on an island in Korea. Also, I don't even think, I'm not sure I mentioned this, this tournament starts Wednesday night for for us here in America especially for me like on the West Coast this is going to be a late night on Wednesday so make sure to get your bets in early if you're one of those guys who wakes up on the East Coast and tries to you know fire a couple bets before uh, the first tea time goes off. You are not going to be able to do that this week on Thursday morning. You're going to have to do it Wednesday evening. So keep that in mind. Talked about players that we really like at the top and in long shots and talked about the guys to stay away from. But I do want to circle back onto the top of the betting board. The feedback that I get from all of you all the time is basically around, you know, you pick one of the top 10 favorites to, to win the golf Tournament. Uh that's basically what happens here. Going in, that's that's phase one of the the evolution of a of a PGA or a golf better. And then you start to learn the players a little bit more. You get down to the 50s, you get down to the hundreds, you do all that stuff, right? But for the most part, a lot of you just pick one of the players at the top and bet them to win. Not the worst case scenario, I suppose, with everything uh factored in. But let's let's go through this one more time because I think this is what's gonna be really valuable. Uh Brooks Kepka and Justin Thomas are the two favorites to win this golf tournament. Justin Thomas, six and a half to one. Brooks Kepka eight to one. There's really no knock against Justin Thomas other than the fact that six and a half to one is really short. He has um for the longest time, a lot of his only wins on the PGA tour were no cut events, not in America. Remember that? He won. Uh, the CIMB classic, I believe twice he won somewhere else, a WGC that was not in the United States. I think it was China off the top of my head. I'm trying to figure it out, trying to remember, but for the longest time, like his first three or four wins were non-American, no cut events. Now, of course he has blossomed since then and he goes out and he wins almost everything. Uh, that one year he had five wins. He was your player of the year, but, um, there's really no knock against against Justin Thomas unless you want to pay six and a half to one. Uh, the, the, the pro for Brooks Kepka is that he was basically eight to one the last time we saw him at the Shriners in a much deeper field, much larger field, uh, much more difficult situation than he is here at the same price. Half the field, uh, yes, of course, he missed the cut at the Shriners, but he didn't play like Brutally bad. Just looks a little rusty after coming off of that knee surgery. So maybe he shakes the rust off and figures it out this week. He is your uh, defending champion at this point. So those guys are there. Then you also have Hideki Matsuyama at eighteen to one. He's also there with Tommy Fleetwood at eighteen to one. So when you're comparing those two guys, I would probably lean towards Fleetwood. Uh, Hideki at eighteen to one. We know that he can't putt, but his around the green game is very strong, and that's a, that's an aspect that. We could find importance this week, especially if the wind starts kicking up. Uh, He's going to be an elite ball striker, but he just seems to really rack up top 15s recently. The last, I don't know, 12, 18 months, it seems like he's just a top 10, top 12, top 15 machine, but he hasn't put himself in position to win enough times. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood certainly has lacked the winning touch on the PGA Tour. In fact... I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a PGA Tour win. His only wins are on the European Tour, but he feels like he's knocking on it, and he does this quite a bit. So his last couple of starts are T11, T13, T8. That T8 was the Omega Masters on the European Tour. Then a T60, and then just the last time he teed it up at the Alfred Dunhill Lynx, uh, also a Euro Tour event. Obviously, it was a tie for fifth. And what I like about Tommy Fleetwood is, statistically, he gains strokes Everywhere that means off the tee, approach, around the green, and putting. He is elite. That was a word issue. Uh, he might not be elite all uh, in all of those categories. He is elite off the tee, but the fact is, he is better than field the field. Uh, In every single category, which always puts him in a position to find success. Because if one aspect of his game goes wrong, he has three others that can certainly help to pick up the slack. So that's what's really impressive. So when you're comparing Fleetwood versus Hideki Matsuyama, I give the lean to Tommy Fleetwood. And if if and when I see head-to-head matchups for those two guys against one another, I will certainly be taking Fleetwood in those situations. Then you have... Uh, the next group of guys, which is Colin Morikawa, Sung J. M. They're both twenty-two to one, and Rafa Cabrera Bello. Now, this is a really tough one because Cabrera Cabrera has been playing again on the Euro Tour. He went to he played the, an event in Spain last week, I believe. Came in second as he showed. He was probably the best player in that field over there. Uh, but but Sung J. and Morikawa are both incredibly talented young golfers. Um what I like about Morikawa is that he is a little bit more uh I don't know how to say this. His all-around game might be a little bit better. He get, he gains strokes in almost every category in a similar way that Tommy Fleetwood does. Sung Jae is just a stud. Like I I don't know how else to describe it. Um what I like about Sung is he makes a ton of birdies. So he plays a lot of events, he makes a lot of birdies. Um he has, you know, I mentioned the fade of, of of Koreans um, not as a actual fade, but like as the idea of only playing guys because they're going back to their homeland. So um Sung Jay would fall into that. But if you were playing these two guys in matchups, it's really appear appealing to go out and get Sung Jay because of just I mean, he's your rookie of the year. The kid's an absolute stud. Um, and makes a lot of birdies. So when you guarantee him four rounds, I think that that it probably gives him the leg up if we were betting them in a matchup type situation or if i could only bet one of these golfers. I also want to take a second and cover some of the different ways you can bet this week because i'm i'm as much as everyone loves a good outright bet, pick the winner, get your big get your big payday. There is one aspect out there that I think is probably the most exploitable at the current moment, and this is group betting. So, I mentioned it a little bit last week, and then I went out and placed some more bets, and I've been kind of tracking this since, you know, I don't know, probably towards the end of last year, more more I've been more focused on it this season. So, call it 6 or 8 weeks or so. And to me, this is where the books are kind of bleeding a little bit because what if you're not familiar with this? The books will take five golfers, for example, who are all generally close to each other in the betting odds. So it might be the top five favorites. It might be five guys from 40 to 50 to one, something like that. They're all generally pretty close and it'll just put them in a group and you just pick the winner of that group. Now, of course, you know, you can pick the guy who um, finishes second in the golf tournament. But loses to one other guy in his group, and he doesn't get paid anything. Or you can have the guy who finishes seventieth, but the other four guys in the group miss the cut, and you win by default. Like I mean, there's there's a lot of ways this can go. But what I generally see is that the odds are too long. So I'll give you a couple of examples from last week, of course. But uh, the the top of the betting board was, I believe, um, Stenson was plus one eighty, and then who else was up there? It would have been Brian Harmon, Berger uh Russ Henley and it would have been someone else that I'm blanking on at the moment. I don't know. But so so it was four it was five guys, it was those were definitely four of them. Um I bet Henley in that situation. Oh, Scotty Scheffler was the last one. I bet Henley in that situation because the odds were like Sten- Stenson was like plus 180 and then the four other guys were basically plus 400 or plus 450 which you know, plus 450 to beat four other guys or plus eight, to beat 140 other guys, right? Like it's kind of crazy. Um, so, so Henley is the guy that I went with. Now we got a little bit of carnage because Stenson missed the cut Berger missed the cut Harmon, missed the cut. And it turns into a head to head between Russell Henley and Scotty Scheffler, where each of them are basically plus 400. Um, but there's, there's, I've talked about this quite a bit where there's so much volatility in golf that those, you know, few guys, uh, you know, no, those guys are always going to be so razor thin. So what I tend to do is just lean towards the bigger favorites in that situation, or I'm sorry, the bigger underdogs in that situation, go get the longest odds or the second longest odds. Cause they're usually pretty good. And you start cashing these and it, it ends up being a big win. So, um, that's where I like to go. I, I was very successful on the book that I use. I think they had four or five different groups last week. Um, I think I hit on three three or four of them. I think I was either three or one or four and one. Um, you know, I think Sam Ryder cashed one for me. I think Harris English cashed, cashed one for me. And this is really a a, a type of bet that I want to talk more about as we continue to go through this. And then I always make a note to talk about this, but um, I, sometimes I run out of time. Sometimes I ramble, whatever. Uh, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about live betting because if you have access to this, if you're around watching the golf, this is not only uh, also very exploitable, but it's where the industry's going, right? And and we've seen this, you know, betting on someone to win. It, it's, it's evolved. Betting on someone to win the golf tournament has evolved to betting for someone to win one round. Then it's going to be betting on someone to win one hole, right? Like, I mean, it's just the 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 betting options, as we've seen with fantasy, as we've seen with most other industries, are just getting more and more specific. So... I think it would it would uh, be to your benefit to become more familiar with these types of options now, because in the future it's going to be where the edge is going to be even more so, when you can start betting. Hey, is Morikawa gonna bogey the fifteenth hole, or is he gonna birdie it, or is he gonna par or whatever it is? So that's where we're going. Um, but live betting in general is pretty exploitable because it it's it's usually a little slow uh, books are kind of getting information when you are, uh, you know, the, the information from the PGA tour comes out and, uh, it's getting to the PGA tour website, you know, uh, 30 seconds after it happens on the course. And then books are trying to adjust to it. And if you are following along and you're paying attention, you're watching, you know, the live stream or whatever, you can usually get to movements before they happen. So that means if, um, you know, a guy shoots out to an early lead makes, makes a couple of birdies, Uh, early, a long shot, you know, makes three birdies in his, in his first front nine running out and grabbing uh, a piece of that while he's still, you know, 150 to one or hundred to one, but now he's got a leg up on the field, right? I mean, there's, there's all these little situations that you can kind of exploit. The biggest one for me, um, has to do with, it's very specific players teeing off late in the second round. So I'll give you an example. Here's what could happen this week. Um, Justin Thomas is six and a half to one to win the golf tournament. He goes out, he shoots a fine first round. He's, you know, four or five under par, a couple shots off the lead, whatever. Um, if he tees off in the afternoon slate on Friday, every single person, you know, every half the field is going to go out and, and, and start making a bunch of birdies in the early wave. And what always happens, I, I, the last time JT won at the BMW... I took advantage of this because he did exactly this where he went off in the late round or in the late wave on Friday. And because everyone else looks like they're getting further away from from him, uh, but it's just because he hasn't teed off yet, right? So everyone's out there making birdies. He's now six, seven, eight shots back. And the odds are like, whoa, okay, now he's five, 10, 12 to one to win the golf tournament when really he shouldn't be because he still has a round in his hand, in his pocket. And to me, that situation became ultra exploitable. He got to, um, I want to say he got to 10 to one at the BMW championship, despite being one of the leaders after the first round. And it was just all based on the timing and the markets and everyone else betting up, uh, the guys earlier in the day, once they go off. So look for those types of situations, keep an eye on a few guys that have good first rounds that you think could still win this. And they go out late, on Friday because as everyone else passes them and and the appearance is that they are moving away from the field, you still have a guy with a round to go. He goes out, he shoots five, six under par, whatever it is. He is right back in it as well. That along with group betting and the future of live betting, which is where we're going is going to be super exploitable. And I want you to be a part of it. My betting slip, my picks for this week on the other side. Welcome back to golf betting on demand. And let me take you home here as I will describe to you the actual betting slip that I'm going to roll out for this week. I've got three bets placed at the moment and they are as follows. I have bet Brooks Kepka at eight to one to win the golf tournament. He is your defending champion When you get him in a situation where there is only half the field as, as the last time we saw him, 78 players, 74 players, whatever it's going to be this week, a no cut event. Uh, he shakes off the rust at the at the Shriners uh, the last time we saw him this 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 seems like a really good position for him to be in i love Justin Thomas but i couldn't pass up on the fact that you can get uh Brooks Kepka at essentially a discount i don't think these situations happen often where he basically is the same price two weeks in a row and one of the situations is supremely better so there i had to do it i didn't want to miss out on it i think Justin Thomas is great and he's going to have an awesome year but i'm betting Brooks Kepka this week um, next up is 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 Victor Hovland. So twenty to one, I got him at. I, I described him as an elite ball striker, which he absolutely is. He's gained strokes off the tee and on approach in all of his nine pro tournaments that I have data on that are actually measured with the shot link data. Uh, something that you know basically only John Rahm has done, basically only Rory McIlroy has done for that long. Um, he has six top fifteen finishes in his last seven starts. He, he's just absolutely killer. And um I think 20 to one is a, a perfect price for him. Now, with that being said, you know the way that I do this is I've got a eight to one and I've got to 20 and a 20 to one. So I'm not gonna live in the 40, 50, and 60 range. I'm gonna have to go down to some of these long shots here and see what I can find. And the place that I went there was Luke List. So Luke List is a hundred to one. We know he has an elite skill set, um, but absolutely brutal. Coming down the stretch of 2019, his stats were, I mean, still good, despite the fact that uh, he missed the cut in like seven straight events to end his season, but we saw him with a a 13th place finish at the Shriners, a 28th at Houston. He's got a a top five finish in his only start here in Korea, and he is just uh, looking good off the tee in his last two starts. I'm willing to back him in a lot of different markets, but I'm taking him here at 100 to one. That's my betting slip. I'm looking forward to hearing what you think about that and who you're betting this week. Tweet me. It's at Rick Run Good, and I'll see you next time. Best of luck.